0: When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife.
1: Well, here we are only seven days away from Christmas and everything seems to be pointing to the fact that everybody in the world seems to know that something's going on. And uh, since I wasn't a chance to be with you last week when all the gifts were returning for Christmas in Coweta, I want to add and just say... How proud I was again of our church for how everybody brought out all the stuff for Christmas in Coweta. How incredible it was. And for those of you who served yesterday, you know yesterday was an incredible day. It was just an awesome day to see all the families here. The opportunity we had to spend time with them, to wrap gifts with them, to be with them, and for them to be with us. And uh, I just want to thank you all for the kind of place you are, that everybody's welcome, and that they can sense it when they're here. Well, uh, we know that the celebration that's taking place as we remember Jesus is about him. It's about what Christmas is about, but not everybody gets the whole story of what's going on. In fact, it was early in the time of community Christian when one of the guys that I was in small group with, he hadn't become a Christian. I was in my 30s at the time, imagine that, Uh, and he was already in his 40s and he had never gone to church until he was in his 40s. Came a christian and community christian and he and i are in a small group together and it's come christmas time and he says to me and i have heard this story my whole life long people have read this story i never knew that everything that was done in the christmas story uh was foretold in prophecy i didn't understand that and it makes so much difference with it well on the chance that all of you don't know that either I mean, I've found throughout the years that many people don't really know that when they hear the, the, the phrase in that story, all of this was told to be fu- as fulfilled by the prophet. They don't even know what that's going to. So today, I want to take the time, as we talk about regifting Christmas, I want to regift to you this idea of what's going on in the prophets and what happens in the story of Jesus and how it all came to pass just the way that God had planned, and It'd be hard for me to imagine that even if you haven't been to church for a long time, or you're not really a Bible person, even though you have gone to church most of your life, even if you never heard anything, that this prophecy that we're going to point to today is one that you can't miss because it's wrapped into so many Christmas songs that you already know, that it's being sung in every store that you go in, and maybe the words of it you hear all the time and you can even sing, but you don't know that it was foretold so long ago and the reason I think this is the one that I want to talk to you about this Christmas is because it really gets at the question and not just a question but it's really the question that most people wind up having in life if you are blessed to live long enough this question that is just a question eventually becomes the question for you in the middle of your life and the question is why and where I mean can god be trusted to show up when god should be showing up and will god actually do what people say god will do is god at work i mean is he doing anything in the world because at some point in your life i mean you look around at your circumstances and this has sort of been our world for the last two years as people look around at circumstances that don't make any sense with anything that's ever happened before in their life. There's circumstances that come up that everybody's going, where did this come from? And when circumstances don't make any sense, then people begin to, well, they begin to come up with questions. And even people that will say things like, well, I believe in God or I, I want to believe in God, But does he do anything? I mean, like, is God up to anything? Because, I mean, when you look around, life can look pretty random. It can look like things just sort of happen. I mean, it's like everything's okay. Life's just rolling along. Everything's going pretty good. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, something happens. A war breaks out. Pandemic hits or divorce happens, or a person you love commits suicide, or somebody you love, they die from a disease nobody knew they had. And then all of a sudden things get good again, and things get better, and then something happens out of nowhere. And if God's involved, it feels like to us that Well, life ought to have this linear kind of pattern that I ought to be able to follow it and I ought to be able to figure out how everything sort of fits together. And if God's involved, it just seems to me, it just seems to me, Ed, it just seems to me that things ought to look like I could figure out how it's all going. Which is why some of you are going to have uncomfortable conversations in the next few days with people that have figured it all out and it's called a conspiracy theory. And they know how the world works, and they know how the government does this, and they know why this happens, and it's somebody's fault over here, and it's all unseen, and it's behind the stage. These big conspiracy theories, you know how they work? Because life doesn't make any sense, and our brain wants it to make sense. As we're just trying to figure it out so hard, and we keep trying to put answers to things that don't make sense to us. And in fact, some of you have friends who they don't do the whole church thing and they think church is just a bunch of people making sense out of something that don't make no sense. They think God is just another answer for something that nobody has any answers for. But what it all comes back to all of this is all of us want to feel like there's some purpose to this. I mean if you get to suck air on this planet for 60, 70, 80 years you don't want to just feel like it's random. You don't want to just feel like it's... It feels personal to you. And particularly when it goes from being the big question about why are there wars and pandemics to why do people I love not love me? Why do people that I care for die when they shouldn't die? When it goes from being the world's question to my question... Then it changes, and even when you believe, you, you just wonder what is God up to, and does He even, does He even know? And yet, there is just something in all of us. I mean, okay, I can't say all because I haven't met everybody, but there is something in most of us that just wants so badly to believe that God's involved. And that if he doesn't work out every detail at least he has a big picture of what's happening and that he's kind of in control and he's got a big overall scope and we're all trying to do our part because no matter how hard we try we want there to be some purpose to this thing and that's why i am so glad you're here today my name's ed i'm one of the pastors here and i'm glad i get to teach you this right at Christmas time, because the account we look at today, this is one of those that, it just pumps up my confidence that God is alive, and God is active, and there is a purpose in the big story in the world, and we are all playing our part.
0: Matthew, one of Jesus's closest followers, writes in his account of Jesus's life that Joseph and Mary are pledged to be married. this brings up images in our minds of Joseph down on one knee. But most likely, Mary and Joseph's parents worked out their marriage for them. Maybe when they were still too young to walk. So there are a lot of people involved. One day before they are officially married, an angel came to Mary and said, you're going to have a baby, but there's not going to be a man involved. And this is an interruption to Mary's life because she's pledged to Joseph. And when Joseph finds out she's pregnant, he decides they're going to get divorced, which sounds strange to us because how do you get divorced before you're married? This was actually part of their custom. Once they're pledged to be married, if they want to end it, they have to officially divorce. And this would have been shameful and destroyed Mary. So Joseph wants to do it quietly. And while he's still trying to figure out how to handle it all, an angel appears to Joseph in a dream and tells him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. In other words, Joseph, this is bigger than you know it is. God is doing something you can't see. You just have to trust him. Then Matthew takes a break from the story and lets the reader in on what's really going on. He writes, All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, what the angel is telling Joseph is that what is happening is fulfilling a prophecy that was given to the nation of Israel 730 years before Mary is pregnant. And when this prophecy was first given, it was a time of real trouble for the nation of Israel. At that time, Israel had been through a civil war that had split the country into two parts, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the northern part had kept the previous name of their country and was called Israel. And the southern part took on a new name, Judah. But both kingdoms still saw Jerusalem as the city of God, the center of all true worship. That was in Judah. Now the king of Judah was a man named Ahaz, and he was a mess. Because the king of Israel in the north and another neighboring country to their north called Aram sent a message to Ahaz asking if Judah would join armies with them to go attack Assyria. Now Assyria is not another nation. It's a powerful and vast empire that covered major parts of Asia and Africa. And so these two small little countries come to another small country and say, they're feeling threatened by this large empire. So we're going to attack first. Come join us. And Ahaz knows this is stupid, but he also knows that if he doesn't join them, then they'll attack Judah because they want to occupy Jerusalem. He's in a no-win situation. There's another problem too. Even though Ahaz is the king of God's chosen people, he has decided that he will lead the nation to worship other gods. So where kings in the past would go to the temple of God and say, God, we are your people, deliver us, he can't do that because he has taken the temple of God and turned it into a place of worship to terrible and brutal gods. In fact, he has actually sacrificed his own sons to those gods, so Ahaz doesn't call on God. Instead, he sends a messenger to the other two kings and tells them he won't join their suicide mission. Just as he'd feared, the two nations attack Judah and head straight to Jerusalem. And even though they're outmanned, Judah holds off the first wave of the attack. But what Ahaz didn't know is that the enemy had split their forces. So while Judah was enjoying this victory, Ahaz gets a message that the other part of the army is coming for them from another direction. And now Judah is completely surrounded, and it's clear they're going to lose. And Ahaz and all the people inside the city of Jerusalem are terrified. And in that moment, God sends the people of Judah a message.
1: So in this moment of crisis, God sends a prophet named Isaiah. And this prophet Isaiah comes to particularly Ahaz, this horrible king that you've already heard about. And he says to him, or God says to Isaiah, say to him, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stumps of firewood. Because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram, of the son of remaliah god's just saying to ahaz hey look i know you from what you see around you from your perspective the way you look at these two nations they're about to attack you and you had a plan it looked like you were winning but now they're winning these two t- kings have your people and you you're afraid but you just need to know from my perspective these two guys are smoldering stumps They are nothing. They're firewood that's already done all it can do. From where I stand, their kingdom is done. And then I don't have time to read you all about it, but if you go back today and you read in verses 5 through 9, God goes into incredible detail, and he just says to them, I know they're coming in, they're going to tell you they're going to tear you apart, but you just need to know in just a little bit, Aram won't even be a nation anymore. No one will eventually even remember that it was ever a country, and neither will this southern kingdom, the one that tells you they're going to kill you. They're all done. And then he says to him, this is really important, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And here's something I want you to see, and people miss this, and I think, but this is God's already revealing a part of his character that people often think we don't get until Jesus comes. It gets to us in spades in Jesus. We can see it so clearly. But God's revealing his character right now (coughs) to Ahaz. God's saying to Ahaz, this terrible king who sacrificed his son to an unknown God, who's torn down the temple of God, he's saying to Ahaz, hey, Ahaz, do you want another chance with me? Ahaz, I'm still for you, man. God's saying, hey, Ahaz, I want to give you another chance. Right now, in this crisis, when all you do is turn your back on me, you know I've protected this nation. You know I have a promise to this nation. You know I continue to go out of my way for this nation. I gave you this land by my power. You did nothing to earn it. I'm willing to act on your behalf. Stand firm and watch me move. But Ahaz doesn't buy it. He does not believe it. While Ahaz is communicating this, Ahaz is... I mean, while Isaiah is trying to say to him, Ahaz is like, Look, look, I'm just afraid, man. I mean, you you see what's happening. The people are afraid. If, if the kingdoms don't give me, the people are going to turn on me, and they're going to take me down. While these two armies are coming, they're going to take me down. I can't trust you. I can't trust in your God. And so Isaiah says to him, okay, you can't trust what I said? Then ask God for a sign. Just ask God for a sign. If you don't trust what I said God said he would do, why don't you just ask God to show you a sign that he'll deliver you, and God will give you a a sign. God wants to act on your behalf, Ahaz, but you don't trust him, so ask him for a sign. And think about this. Ahaz, from the time he's a little boy sitting with his mom and dad, he's heard the stories of what God has done for this nation. I mean, from the time he's a little kid, he hears about how God takes a Red Sea and he parts it and he delivers them from their enemy. He hears about these whopper signs that God has done for them. He turns a river into blood. He, he takes an army who is going to attack Israel just a few hundred years before and he, he gets them so confused, they kill themselves. He knows that God will protect this nation. But he has such little trust, he won't even try. In verse 12, Ahaz says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to a test. Now, when you hear that, it sounds incredibly holy. In fact, some of you who know your New Testament know Jesus takes this little phrase out of context and quotes it to the devil at one point. He says, you shouldn't put the Lord to the test. But you should know, when the Lord tells you to ask for a test, it is not holy to not ask for a test. (laughs) Ahaz is not being holy here. Ahaz is being definite. Sounds really holy. Oh, I would never test the Lord. So Isaiah says, on behalf of God. Now you, house of David, and that's just another name for for the nation, and for the king who's in charge of the nation. Now you, house of David, it's not enough to try the patience of men. Will you also try the patience of God? I mean, do you hear what Isaiah and God are saying? Ahaz, you're hard to get along with already. (laughs) I mean, nobody likes you, Ahaz. Everybody has their patience run out with you. Will you now Push God to the limit. Normal people can't get along with you, and you won't listen to God. God is willing. God is willing to intervene. He's willing to show up, and you reject him. You rejected his offer. He says to you, just name it. You just give me any sign, and I'll do it. In verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. You don't want to pick a sign? Here's your sign. As if the God was saying to Ahaz, You don't want me to play? You don't want me involved in this game? Well, you don't get to say that. I'm playing anyway. I made a promise to this nation. You don't want to be dependent on me. The nation doesn't want to be dependent on me. That's okay. I'm going to act on your behalf anyway. And here's why God's so persistent. And if you know the Bible, you already know. I've alluded to it already. But if you're new to the Bible, here's what you need to know. Hundreds of years before. Thousands of years before. God goes to one man named Abraham, and he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. Now you need to know he's already an old man. His wife can't have children. So how's he going to become even a family? God says, I'm going to make your family a great nation And he does. And then he comes back to that family again and again and again. When they become a nation and they turn their back on him, and God says, you can reject me, I will not reject you. I have plans for you. I'm going to use you for my purpose. If you'll just trust me, you'll be blessed. But you can't stop me from doing what I'm going to do. You can miss out on the blessing of it. You may not get to participate in the blessing of it at all. But I'm going to do what I need to do for you. You may not think I'm God. You may not want me to be your God. If you don't trust me, you will miss out on all the blessings that I want to give you this way. But I am going to keep my promise. And I intend to bless the world through you. I will protect and defend those who stand with me. And you just need to know there will always be some. And Ahaz has snubbed God and he said, I don't need your help. I'll figure it out. And I don't have time to tell you today all the convoluted ways he goes about trying to figure it out. He goes about trying to get around Babylon, which eventually will destroy everything. It'll eventually cost him his life, all of his children their life. It'll eventually ruin the kingdom. And the country that God had let out of slavery will go into slavery again. He turns his back on God. He says, I don't want it. And God says, that's okay. I'm going to be the kind of God that fulfills my promise no matter what you do. And to just demonstrate to you and to demonstrate to the world and to demonstrate to this whole watching world that I keep my promises. Here's your sign. And when I fulfill this sign, the whole world will remember it and they will know it. I keep my promises, here it is. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child, and will give birth to his son, and will call him Emmanuel. And that's it. That's the sign.
0: Now we need to have a conversation about the word virgin, which I know everyone was hoping we would. When Isaiah used the word we translate as virgin, Ahaz most likely heard it as a young, unmarried woman. When Matthew quotes this prophecy, he uses a word to refer to Mary as a young woman who has not been with a man. But the original word Isaiah used can be translated as maiden or unmarried woman. Why does this matter? Well, when Ahaz heard Isaiah say, you won't ask for a sign because you don't trust God, but God is going to give you a sign, A young woman's going to have a baby, and the name she will give it is Emmanuel. And Ahaz has to be thinking, a young woman will have a baby? That's not a sign. That's kind of a thing that happens all the time. But Isaiah says, after this sign, let me tell you what's going to happen. These two armies that you're so afraid of are going to fail. You're going to be okay, because God is going to keep His promise, even though you won't trust Him, which is some amazing news. But there is some bad news. The Assyrians that you've been afraid of and tried to make a treaty with will destroy the Northern Kingdom because of their lack of faith in God and because of your lack of faith. In a few years, they will come and lead your country away in slavery. But eventually, Assyria will be destroyed by another empire. So it's this mixture of good and bad news But Isaiah's not done. In chapter nine, he circles back to the baby he mentioned earlier, and he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And everyone at the time hears this as a promise that this baby will be a future king. Still not that strange until Isaiah says, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Now don't miss that. Everyone listening would have thought, wait a second, Mighty God? Did you just say there was going to be a baby who was God? Are you saying that God is going to be born? This would have not only been brand new information, but it sounds like blasphemy. It's outrageous, but it's still not enough to get Ahaz's attention. He ignores everything that Isaiah had to say. Sure enough, everything God promised came true. The Assyrians made war against Israel, and so Israel was forced to withdraw their army from Judah to defend themselves. They failed, and Israel was destroyed. Then 20 years later, just as Isaiah prophesied, Assyria set their sights on Judah and Jerusalem, and they completely took over. And then 90 years later, just as Isaiah had prophesied, the Babylonians attacked the Assyrians and destroyed them. And they reigned until Alexander the Great and the Greeks conquered Babylon, and everyone thought they would rule forever until Rome came and conquered most of the known world. And by that time, Ahaz had long been forgotten. But the prophecies of Isaiah stood the test of time, and they didn't even make any sense when Isaiah had first said them. But years later, the Jews in Israel were living under Roman rule, and they began to wonder if maybe God had forgotten them. They had become the ground that foreign armies and nations marched as they went north and south across the empire. And the people of God began to wonder, where was their promise? Where was the Messiah?
2: So what hopes are you holding on to this Christmas? What are you praying that God will do in in your life? You know, just like the people of Israel uh, waited on their Messiah, well, we're in a waiting period too. We're waiting on Jesus to return and to bring all suffering and sorrow and brokenness in our world to an end. The Apostle Paul says it this way. He says that all creation is groaning as if in the pains of childbirth. And maybe this idea of groaning and longing is very personal for you today. Uh, Maybe there's some hurt or disappointment or grief in your life that causes you just to long for Jesus our Messiah to return and to make all things right. Or maybe it's a broken relationship or a difficult circumstance that's causing you to feel anxiety or maybe even anger. Maybe you're in physical pain and you're facing sickness, physical illness this Christmas. And maybe with all the lights and the songs and the celebrations going on, you've been trying to sort of hold back this longing, keep it at bay. But please let me hear you say, please hear me say this. You don't have to do that because the promise of Christmas is that even though Jesus has not returned yet, He has come to us. Emmanuel means God with us. And not only did He draw near to us uh, in in the flesh 2,000 years ago, but He's also here with us today. And so if you're a believer, the same spirit that lived in Jesus God's Holy Spirit well He lives in you and He longs to give you comfort and to give you strength to, that you can hold on to during whatever difficulty it is that you're going through and so this morning our band is just going to lead us through this old Christmas song that speaks about Jesus being Emmanuel Jesus being God with us and as they do Would you just bring whatever hopes you're holding on to this Christmas before God? Would you just allow Him to have those? And would you take a moment and just rejoice because God is with you. He's not forgotten you. He has not abandoned you. He is closer than the air that you breathe. And He loves you.
3: Would you stand O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive. Israel.
1: Imagine for 730 years you sing that song. For 730 years you hold on to the promise in it It never comes to pass and then for some reason that nobody but God knows 730 years when he has the table set just the way he wants it, God says to Gabriel hey, go see that young lady. And he goes to Mary. And he says to her, you're the one the prophet spoke about all those years ago. And then he comes to Joseph in a dream, and he says, Well, I'll just read it to you again. You heard it at the beginning. She will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. In other words, Joseph, this girl that your mom and dad picked out when you were too little to ever pick for yourself, this girl who's caused you nothing but headaches since she told you she was pregnant, this girl that you've decided to just be done with forever, she's the one, Joseph. She's the one the nation's been singing about For 730 years, she's the one. And the prophecy that made no sense to Ahaz when he heard a virgin, a a young lady will give birth, that's my sign. A sign that everybody's been looking for, that God would be born. And the prophecy made no sense when they went through war and then they go into slavery and then they come back and the nation's never returned to its glory. And now they're under the thumb of the rope. Romans, this girl, she will be with child and give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel. It means God is with us. And then I love this verse. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel had commanded him to do. He took Mary home as his wife. Promise made, promise kept. Promise made by God, promise kept. It looked like God had forgotten. Like God didn't even care about the nation. Like he had abandoned them. And you know because you know people. You know how you are. You know how I am. People had been crying out to God. When God? Where God? Why God? But God had been active the whole time. God had been at work the whole time fulfilling his promise. And you couldn't even see it. I often think about how often if in the middle of when people aren't in trouble, if I could just get us all, and me too, to stand back, that we often judge God's faithfulness on whether I can see him now. Like, I determine whether I can sing great as thy faithfulness to God by what's happening right now. (laughs) Whether God is active in my life like right now. I mean, how many times have I had people over the last 40 years come to me in real pain? And I know people sometimes think, I don't see the pain. I see the pain. They're in incredible amounts of trouble. And they'll, they'll say, Hey, you always stand up. And at church, we say all the time, God is for you and he never stops thinking about you. But I don't feel it, I can't sense that he's with me at all and i'd often thought but have not said because it well it just would be unkind but i've often thought i ought to say to them you know i i have three sons and if when they were 10 they had to prove their dad loved them by how often i did what they wanted they couldn't do it because if the only way they knew that i loved them was that i did exactly what they wanted when they wanted how they wanted they would not have thought their dad cared about them at all. How about you and your kids? But you can't say that to somebody when they're hurting. Because we want to see God now. I want to see him in the moment. And so many of us go through our life doubting whether God's around because we build our case for God based on the activity and presence in the last two weeks. Or three months or five years and God I mean it's no wonder at some stage in our life we're forced to look back and wonder and wish and pray God are you anywhere cuz I've had some bad five-year periods (laughs) I've had some times when I looked around and didn't think God was there and I wished I wasn't there and you are you active are you here this is why it's so important that we remember who God is. And it's one of the benefits that we come together every Christmas, at least for those of us who weren't caught up in Santa baby and all of that, that all of us, that we know what Advent's about, and we know that it means that God kept his promise once, and he's going to keep it again. Because this is the one place we look back to in history, and in an unmistakable way, right in the middle of history, that you look at and you they would have all been going, where is he? And then we can see from our viewpoint, God was alive and God was active and he's a com- promise-making, promise-keeping God. And just like he promised that there would be a Messiah and he promised King Ahaz all that would happen, that one day a virgin would be with child and she would give the name Emmanuel because God is with us. Because here's the same thing, in some <laughs> In some weird way, you and I are right in the same place that Israel was at the moment Jesus was born. We're in that in-between time, between when the promise has been made that Jesus came and sin's been forgiven and we can have a relationship with him and we're involved in his body in the world, and one day he's going to come back and everything's going to be right. But we ain't there yet, are we? We're in that in-between time where occasionally when things are bad, you, you sing, oh, come, oh, come, come. And in the meantime, we just have to trust him for his grace and trust him for his mercy and trust him... That in the body of Christ, we can encourage each other and that we can begin to set right together what we can set right. We can be at work in the kingdom together. And in the meantime, we have to do what God has commanded that Ahaz did that he couldn't do. Here it is. I just want to read it to you again. So be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these smoldering stumps of firewood in this world that cause you to lose faith. I don't know what you're struggling with to hold on to with God, but what I know is from his perspective, they're like firewood that's just barely smoldering. From his viewpoint, they will not cancel his promise. From his viewpoint, he is at work even when you can't see it. It's already been dealt with. It's already burned out. Whatever you tend to fear, whether it's the industry or your job losing or the company or your finances or your marriage or your parents, what's going on with your kids or what's going to happen in the future, whether you'll ever have anybody that really loves you or not, here's what you know when you're in the middle of saying, God, are you God? Are you with me? God, can I trust you? He's saying to you, I'm a promise-making, promise-keeping God. Trust me. Be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. And from our vantage point, we know. The Lord has given us a sign, hasn't he? The virgin was, in fact, with the child and gave birth to a son. And they named him Jesus. He saves his people from their sins. And now you and I can live every day knowing certainly that God is with us. And so I want to encourage you before I'm done today that if you have not yet taken a step toward his body, which is the visible representation of Jesus right now on earth, I encourage you to take your next step. Come and see us at the Next Step Center today so you can be a part of a community. We'd love to have you be a part of ours. But before we end our time together today, I want to take a moment and take you to the cross of Jesus and the meal of communion where we see him evident, I've asked Steve to come and lead us in that time.